93 by Victor Hugo. Book 1. The Woods of La Sodre. During the last days of May, 1793, one of the Parisian battalions brought into Brittany by Santerre was scouring the dangerous woods of La Sodre in Ostier. There were no more than three hundred men left, for the battalion had been decimated by that fierce war. It was the period when, after the Argonne, Jemap, and Valmy, of the first Parisian battalion, originally composed of six hundred volunteers, there remained twenty-seven men, of the second, thirty-three, and of the third, fifty-seven. It was a time of epic combats. The battalion sent to Vendée from Paris numbered nine hundred and twelve men. Each battalion had three cannons. They had all been assembled rapidly. On April 25th, Goyer, being Minister of Justice, and Bouchot, Minister of War, the Section du Bon Conseil, proposed sending battalions of volunteers to Vendée. Lubin, member of the Commune, made the report. On May 1st, Santerre was ready to send off 12,000 soldiers, 30 field pieces, and a battalion of gunners. These battalions, formed so quickly, were formed so well that they still serve as models today. Companies of the line are now organized in accordance with their mode of composition. They changed the former proportion between the number of soldiers and the number of non-commissioned officers. On April 28th, the Commune of Paris gave this order to Santerre's volunteers. No mercy, no quarter. By the end of May, of the 12,000 who left Paris, 8,000 were dead. The battalion that had entered the woods of La Sodre was on its guard. The men did not hurry. They looked left and right, forward and backward. Clébert once said, a soldier has an eye in his back. They had been walking for a long time. What time could it be? What period of the day was it? It would have been difficult to say for there is always a kind of twilight in such wild woods, and it is never light in that forest. The woods of La Sodre were tragic. It was there that in November 1792 civil war had begun its crimes. Mousqueton, the ferocious cripple, had come out of those baleful depths. The number of murders that had been committed there was enough to make one's hair stand on end. There was no place more horrible. The soldiers moved forward cautiously. The forest was full of flowers. The men were surrounded by a quivering wall of branches from which the delightful coolness of leaves descended. Here and there, these green shadows were pierced by sunbeams. On the ground, gladiolas, irises, daffodils, wood daisies, those little flowers which announce fine weather, and vernal crocuses embroidered and braided a thick carpet of vegetation abounding in every variety of moss, from the kind that looks like chenille cloth to the kind that looks like a star. The soldiers silently advanced, step by step, gently pushing aside the underbrush. The birds twittered above their bayonets. In peaceful times, La Sodre had been one of those woods where the hunting of birds at night, known as Huishba, had been practiced. Now, men were being hunted there. 
the forest was composed of birches, beeches, and oaks. The ground was flat. The thick moss and grass deadened the sound of the men's footsteps. There were no paths at all, or else paths that quickly vanished in the holly, blackthorns, ferns, hedges of rest harrow, and high brambles. It was impossible to see a man ten paces away. Now and then a heron or a moorhen flew through the branches, indicating that marshes were nearby. The men walked on. They moved at random, uneasily, afraid of finding what they were seeking. Occasionally they came upon traces of encampments, burned spots, trampled grass, crossed sticks, blood-stained branches. Here soup had been made, there mass had been said, and over there wounds had been dressed. But those who had passed through had disappeared. Where were they? Far away, perhaps. Or perhaps they were quite near, hiding, with their blunderbusses in their hands. The woods seemed deserted. The battalion redoubled its caution. There was solitude, hence mistrust. They saw no one, all the more reason for dreading someone. They were dealing with an ill-famed forest. An ambush was probable. Thirty grenadiers, detached as scouts and commanded by a sergeant, walked at a considerable distance in front of the main body of soldiers. They were accompanied by the vivandier of the battalion. Vivandiers are always ready to join the vanguard. They are exposed to danger, but they are likely to see something. Curiosity is one of the forms of feminine bravery. Suddenly, the soldiers of that little vanguard started like hunters who have sensed that they are nearing the hiding place of their quarry. They had heard what sounded like breathing in the middle of a thicket, and it seemed to them they had just seen a movement in the leaves. They signaled to one another. Officers have no need to interfere in the kind of watching and searching entrusted to scouts. The right thing is done automatically. In less than a minute, the spot where the movement had been detected was surrounded. A line of muskets encircled it, aimed at the dark center of the thicket from all sides at once. The soldiers, staring at the suspected spot, with finger on trigger, waited for the sergeant's command to open fire. Meanwhile, the vivandier had ventured to look through the underbrush, and just as the sergeant was about to shout, Fire! she shouted, Stop! Then turning to the soldiers, Don't shoot, comrades! And she plunged into the thicket. The men followed. There was indeed someone there. In the densest part of the thicket, at the edge of one of those round little clearings which charcoal pits make by burning the roots of the trees, in a sort of hole in the branches, a kind of chamber of foliage, half open like an alcove. A woman was sitting on the moss, suckling a baby at her breast, while the blonde heads of two sleeping children rested on her lap. This was the ambush. "'What are you doing here?' cried the vivandier. The woman raised her head. The vivandier added furiously, "'You must be crazy to be here. In another second you'd have been blown to pieces.' She addressed the soldiers. "'It's a woman.' "'We can see that for ourselves,' said a grenadier. The vivandier went on. "'Coming into the woods to get yourself slaughtered? Who ever heard of such a stupid thing?' 
The woman, dumbfounded, frightened, and petrified, looked around her as though in a dream, at all those muskets, sabers, bayonets, and ferocious faces. The two children awoke with a cry. "'I'm hungry,' said one. "'I'm afraid,' said the other. The baby continued to nurse. The vivandier spoke to it. "'You've got the right idea.' The mother was mute with terror. "'Don't be afraid,' the sergeant cried out to her. "'We are the Red Bonnet Battalion.' The woman trembled from head to foot. She looked at the sergeant. Nothing could be seen of his rough face except his eyebrows, his mustache, and the two glowing coals that were his eyes. "'Formerly the Red Cross Battalion,' added the vivandier. The sergeant went on. "'Who are you, madam?' The woman stared at him, terrified. She was thin, young, pale, and in rags. She wore the big hood of the Breton peasant woman, and a woolen cloak fastened at the neck with a cord. She left her bare breast exposed with the indifference of a female animal. Her feet, without shoes or stockings, were bleeding. "'She's a poor woman,' said the sergeant. And the vivandier asked in her soldierly yet feminine voice, with an undertone of sweetness, "'What's your name?' "'Michelle Fleshard,' the woman murmured, in an almost unintelligible stammer. Meanwhile, the vivandier was stroking the baby's little head with her big hand. "'How old is this baby?' she asked. The mother did not understand. The vivandier insisted. "'I asked how old your baby is.' "'Ah,' said the mother, Eighteen months.' "'That's old,' said the vivandier. "'She shouldn't be nursing now. You'll have to wean her. We'll give her some soup.' The mother was beginning to feel reassured. The two children who had awakened were more curious than frightened. They were admiring the soldiers' plumes. "'Oh, they're hungry,' said the mother, and she added, "'I don't have any more milk.' "'We'll give them something to eat,' cried the sergeant, "'and you too. But never mind that now. What are your political opinions?' The woman looked at the sergeant without answering. "'Did you hear my question?' She stammered, "'I was put into a convent when I was very young, but I got married.' I'm not a nun. The sisters taught me to speak French. The village was set on fire. We ran away so quickly that I didn't have time to put on my shoes. I'm asking you what your political opinions are. I don't know what you mean. The sergeant continued. There are women spies around here. We shoot spies. You better talk. You're not a gypsy, are you? What's your fatherland? She went on looking at him without understanding. He repeated, "'What's your fatherland?' "'I don't know,' she said. "'What? You don't know what your own country is?' "'Ah, my country. Yes, I know that.' "'Well, then, what's your country?' "'It's the farm of Sisquanyard, in the parish of Azay.' It was now the sergeant's turn to be stupefied. He remained thoughtful for a moment, then asked, "'What did you say?' "'Sisquanyard. "'That's not a fatherland.' It's my country. And after a moment of reflection, she added, I understand, monsieur. You're from France. I'm from Brittany. Well, it's not the same country. It's the same fatherland, cried the sergeant. The woman merely replied, I'm from Sisquanyard. Sisquanyard it is, then, said the sergeant. 
Is that where your family's from? Yes. What do they do? They're all dead. I have no one left. The sergeant, who was something of a glib talker, continued his questioning. What the devil? Everybody has parents or has had them. Who are you? Talk. The woman listened in bewilderment to that, or has had them, which was more like the cry of an animal than human speech. The vivandière felt that it was necessary to intervene. She began stroking the nursing baby again, and patted the cheeks of the two other children. "'What's the baby's name?' she asked. "'It's a girl, isn't it?' "'Georgette,' replied the mother. "'And the oldest one? I can see he's a man, the little rascal.' "'René Jean.' "'And his brother? He's a man, too, and he has chubby cheeks.' "'Gros Alain,' said the mother. "'They're nice children,' said the vivandière. "'They already seem like real people.' But the sergeant insisted. "'Talk, madam. Do you have a house?' "'I used to have one.' "'Where?' "'At Azay. "'Why aren't you in your house?' "'Because they burned it.' "'Who?' "'I don't know. There was a battle.' "'Where have you come from?' "'From there.' "'Where are you going?' "'I don't know.' "'Come to the point. Who are you?' "'I don't know.' "'You don't know who you are?' "'We're people who are running away.' Which party do you belong to? I don't know. Are you blues? Are you whites? Who are you with? I'm with my children. There was a pause. The vivandière said, I don't have any children. I haven't had time. The sergeant began again. But what about your parents? Come, madam, tell us about your parents. My name is Radoub. I'm a sergeant. I'm from the Rue du Cherche-Midi, and so were my mother and father. I can talk about my parents. Tell us about yours. Tell us about yours. Tell us what they were. They were Fléchards, that's all. Yes, the Fléchards are the Fléchards, just as the Radoubs are the Radoubs. But everybody has an occupation. What was your parents' occupation? What did they do? What are they doing now? What kind of Fléchards were they? They were farmers. My father was crippled and couldn't work because of a beating that the Lord, his Lord, our Lord, had given him. It was a kindness, because my father had poached a rabbit, and that was something you were usually sentenced to death for. But the Lord took mercy on him and said, Just give him a hundred blows with a stick. And my father was crippled after that. And then? My grandfather was a Huguenot. The parish priest had him sent to prison. I was a little girl at the time. And then? My husband's father was a salt smuggler. The king had him hanged. And your husband? What did he do? Recently he was fighting. For whom? For the king. And who else? Why, for his lord. And who else? Why, for the parish priest. Holy name of a brute, cried a grenadier. The woman started in terror. You see, madame, we're Parisians, the vivandière said graciously. The woman clasped her hands and cried out, Oh, my God and Lord Jesus! No superstition, said the sergeant. The vivandière sat down beside the woman and drew the eldest child between her knees. He made no resistance. Children are reassured just as they are alarmed, without any apparent reason. They have a kind of inner warning. 
my poor good woman from around here. You've got pretty children. That's one thing you can be glad of. I can guess their ages. The oldest one is four. His brother is three. The little one who's nursing is as greedy as she can be. Oh, the monster. Stop eating your mother like that. Look, madam, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. You want to join the battalion. You can do the same as I do. I'm called Uzard. It's a nickname, but I'd rather be called Uzard than Mademoiselle Bicorneau like my mother. I'm the vivandier. In other words, I'm the one who gives the soldiers something to drink when they're shooting and slaughtering each other. There's always something happening. Our feet are about the same size, so I'll give you a pair of my shoes. I was in Paris on the 10th of August. I gave Westerman a drink. There was plenty of action. I saw Louis the Sixteenth guillotined, Louis Capet, as they called him. He didn't want to have his head cut off. Just think of it. On the 13th of January, he roasted chestnuts and laughed with his family. When they made him lie down on the seesaw, as they call it, he had neither coat nor shoes. He was wearing only a shirt, a quilted jacket, gray knee breeches, and gray silk stockings. I saw that myself. The hackney carriage they brought him in was painted green. Look, why don't you come with us? The soldiers in the battalion are all good fellows. You can be the number two vivandier. I'll show you what to do. Oh, it's quite simple. You have your can and your little bell. You go off into the fighting, the volley firing, the cannonballs, the whole uproar, and you call out, Who wants a drink, boys? That's all there is to it. I give anybody a drink who wants it. Yes, anybody. Whites as well as blues. Even though I'm a blue myself, and a good one, too. But I give everybody a drink. Wounded men are thirsty. They die without any distinction of opinion. Dying men ought to shake hands with each other. It's so silly to fight. Come with us. If I'm killed, you can take over my place. I'm not much to look at, but I'm a good woman and a decent fellow. Don't be afraid. When the vivandier had stopped talking, the woman murmured, Our neighbor's name was Marie-Jean, and our servant's name was Marie-Claude. Meanwhile, Sergeant Radoub reprimanded the grenadier. Be quiet. You're scaring, madam. You shouldn't swear in front of ladies. Just the same, said the grenadier. It hurts an honest man's ears to hear about such stupid yokels. After they've had their fathers-in-law crippled by the Lord, their grandfathers sent to prison by the parish priest, and their fathers hanged by the king, they fight, they rebel, they get themselves killed for the Lord, the parish priest, and the king. Silence in the ranks, shouted the sergeant. I'll be quiet, sergeant, said the grenadier. But it's still true that I hate to see a pretty woman like this risking her neck for the sake of a priest. Grenadier, said the sergeant, we are not in the club of the section de pique. No eloquence. He turned to the woman. And what does your husband do, madam? What's become of him? Nothing has become of him, because they killed him. Where? In the hedgerows. When? Three days ago. Who? I don't know. What? You don't know who killed your husband? No. Was it a blue? Was it a white? It was a bullet. Three days ago? Yes. In what direction from here? Toward Ernay. My husband fell. That's all. And what have you been doing since your husband died? 
I've been taking my children away. Where are you taking them? Straight ahead. Where do you sleep? On the ground. What do you eat? Nothing. The sergeant made that military grimace which causes the mustache to touch the nose. Nothing. Nothing but sloes, blackberries when there are some left over from last year, myrtle seeds, fern shoots. Yes, you might as well say nothing. The eldest child, who seemed to understand, said, I'm hungry. The sergeant took a piece of ration bread from his pocket and handed it to the mother. She broke it into two pieces and gave them to the children. They ate greedily. She didn't keep any for herself, grumbled the sergeant. Because she's not hungry, said a soldier. Because she's a mother, said the sergeant. The children stopped eating. I want something to drink, said one. Something to drink, repeated the other. Isn't there a brook in this devilish forest, said the sergeant. The vivandiere took the brass cup that hung from her belt beside her bell, turned the spigot of the can she carried slung over her shoulder, let a few drops fall into the cup, and held it to the children's lips. The first drank and grimaced. The second drank and spat. Just the same, it's good stuff, said the vivandiere. Is it rot gut? asked the sergeant. Yes, and the best. But these are peasants. She wiped out her cup. And so you've been running away, madam, said the sergeant. I have to. Across the fields, whichever way you happen to be headed? I run as long as I can, and then I walk, and then I fall. Poor villager, said the vivandiere. People are fighting, stammered the woman. They're shooting all around me. I don't know what they want from each other. They've killed my husband. That's all I've understood. The sergeant banged the butt of his musket against the ground and shouted, What a stupid war! Last night, the woman continued, we slept in an amuse. All four of you? All four. You slept there? Yes. Then you must have slept standing up, said the sergeant. He turned to the soldiers. Comrades, an old hollow tree, big enough for a man to fit into like a sword in a sheath, is what these savages call an amuse. It's not their fault. You can't expect them all to be from Paris. Sleeping in a hollow tree, said the vivandiere, and with three children. And when the children cried, said the sergeant, it must have been odd for the people passing by who saw nothing to hear a tree saying, Papa, Mama. Fortunately, it's summer, sighed the woman. She looked down at the ground in resignation, her eyes filled with the astonishment of disaster. The silent soldiers stood around that misery. A widow, three fatherless children, flight, abandonment, solitude, war rumbling all around the horizon, hunger, thirst, no other food than grass, no other roof than the sky. The sergeant approached the woman and fixed his eyes on the nursing baby. The little girl left her mother's breast, gently turned her head looked with her pretty blue eyes at that formidable, tawny, bristling face leaning over her, and began to smile. The sergeant straightened up. A big tear rolled down his cheek and stopped at the end of his mustache, looking like a pearl. He raised his voice. Comrades, from all this I conclude that the battalion is going to become a father.
Is it agreed? We'll adopt these three children. Long live the Republic, cried the grenadiers. It's done, said the sergeant. He held his hands above the mother and the three children. These are the children of the Red Bonnet Battalion. The vivandier jumped for joy. Three heads in one bonnet, she exclaimed. Then she burst into sobs, wildly embraced the poor widow, and said to her, The baby already looks like a little girl. Long live the Republic, repeated the soldiers. And the sergeant said to the mother, Come, citizeness.